Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles, would you, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. We just started a verse-by-verse study in the, in the book of Hebrews as Paul writes this letter to a group of Jewish Christians that have come out of thousands of years of religious tradition in Judaism and have embraced their Savior, the promised Messiah. Over 330 prophecies and predictions of Messiah were fulfilled by Jesus Christ in his first coming. And many of the the, the very first Christians were Jewish. And Jerusalem is filled with Jewish Christians. And yet, remember, for a Jewish person to embrace Messiah meant that he would lose everything. They would lose everything. They'd lose their identity. They'd lose their community. They'd often lose their job. They would lose, their families would turn on them. And that takes a toll on a person. As Jesus taught us to count the cost in following him. Even though some of you might count the cost, there's still even more cost to it. And that takes a toll, the difficulties and the trials. And many people are tempted to go backwards, and that's where they are. They are tempted to go backwards. They're tempted to go back to Judaism, to their religious traditions. You know why? Because one of the hardest things to do is to embrace change. There's a lot of resistance to change. And one of the hardest things to break in a person's life is their man-made religious traditions and habits and rituals. It's so hard for people to change, especially when it comes to their relationship with God. There's a resistance to change, actually a pushback, a natural response that when things are changing, it's disrupting. And when it comes to your relationship with God, you know, many of you have had a hard time coming out of the religious traditions you were taught and you were raised with. I mean, because that's what great-grandma did, and that's what grandma did, and that's what my mom did. That's what I'm doing, now that's what I'm having. And then when you finally open the Bible and find out that your religious traditions aren't in there, and some of them actually are against what the Bible says, I mean, you're challenged. You're challenged to, do I embrace the truth and pay the price? Or do I just stay calm and, and just make excuses? Well, you know, I, I'm going to do it and it, God doesn't really matter. But he do, it does matter. God does care. And it's plain hard for people to change. I'm sure you've met people, maybe you've even been like that, that when a tradition is brought up and then you open the Bible and you say, but look, the Bible says right here that that's not what you're supposed to do. It's very clear that you'll have people even say, well, I, I don't know, I don't really understand what the Bible says, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. And there'll be people's tradition will be so deep that people will reject the Bible in order to keep their traditions. And it's with us now, and it's with, it was with the Jewish believers in the first century, where their traditions were so, they were so steeped in their tradition that, that when they faced difficulties, it would be easy and tempting for them to go backwards, but God doesn't want us to go backwards. He doesn't want us to go backwards. He doesn't want us looking over our shoulders. He wants us moving forward in the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. 
That's the, one of the big themes of Hebrews is Jesus is superior. You are complete in him. You don't need these religious traditions. You can worship him with freedom. And can, traditions can be so strong that they become a part of you. And you even think if you break them, you won't be you anymore. Or you might be hurting your family or offending your family. You touch a person's tradition and they cry out. But we have to learn to develop our traditions. There's nothing wrong with traditions that are biblical, but they must be developed from the Scriptures and not man-made religion. So Paul writes to the Hebrews then and to us today that Jesus is all you need. And when you're tempted to move forward, I mean, there's still even those today within the, the larger construct of Christianity that are saying, no, you're not a, it's not enough for you to worship the way you worship. You need to go back to the Torah, and you need to focus on the Torah. And the Torah is wonderful. It's the first five books of the Old Testament, but there's freedom in Christ. And there'll be others that say, no, it's not enough. You need to practice all of the feasts and all of the ceremonies of the Old Testament. Hey, look, the feasts are beautiful, but we've learned that they're just shadows. The substance is of Christ. And so there's nothing wrong if you want to participate in some of the Old Testament feasts. They're beautiful and they're glorious, but all you need is Jesus, and you're complete in him. And so here are these Jewish believers surrounded in Jerusalem. They'd be surrounded because the, the, the Judaism is still all, uh, still all over Jerusalem. The, everything's still happening right in front of them. And there they are worshiping Jesus, embracing the substance. And it's easy to move back and say, well, I kind of want my old life back. I kind of want my own re- old religious life back. Or even some of you, by way of uh, application, you want your old life back, like you think it was better back then. And communion, and one of the things that we learn in communion is that it wasn't better back then, it's better today in Christ. We have very selective memories when it comes to the past. And for those of you that are really wrestling about whether I should go backwards, or you wanna go back into the world, or you wanna adopt an old habit, or maybe an old religious system, you have, a, you, you have a memory that's very selective and you don't remember the difficulties and you don't remember the hardship and you don't remember, you know, like the partier, like today, you think, well, you know, it's gonna be okay if I just go back and party with my friends, but you forgot. You're forgetting how bad it was. You're forgetting the night you woke up in your own vomit. You're forgetting the time you woke up in jail. You're forgetting the time you offended. You're forgetting, you're forgetting. And the Lord says, no, we need to forget those things that are behind and we need to press forward to what God has for us, no matter the temptations. And you would think the closer you are to going backwards, the heavier the temptations are gonna be. Because the devil has one goal and one goal alone with you and that's to absolutely wipe you out. He's come not except to kill, steal, and destroy your life and mine. And whether it's to some religious tradition or full-blown going back to the world, the world has nothing for you. And here are these guys in the first century just assessing their life, tempted to go backwards, but they would know. They would know of the new covenant. Remember I asked you to jot it down last time, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 39, all speaking about God's heart for Israel. They would know this in Ezekiel 36, verse 24. They would know this. They would be so familiar with this passage. This is God speaking through the prophet. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, bring you into your own land. That's happening to this day right now. It's happening right now. Then I'll sprinkle clean water on you. 
and you shall be clean. I'll cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll take, my heart, I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you, God says, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you'll keep my judgments and do them. And you'll dwell on the land that I gave to your fathers. And you'll be my people and I'll be your God. He speaks of the new covenant that by faith in Jesus Christ, this is what will happen to every Jew and Gentile. And yet their traditions are so strong that Paul writes this letter to them, this book. And he even describes it, you can write it down in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22, he describes it as an exhortation. Now the word that's translated exhortation in the New Testament is the same word that's translated comforter for the Holy Spirit. The word really means comfort. But whenever it's translated exhortation, it, it actually is, speaks more of a strong comfort. Like, like the idea of exhortation is a little bit of, of a push, a little bit of a, a move. Exor- when you're exhorted, you're moved forward. And sometimes you're moved forward through comfort. Sometimes you're moved forward through a strong word. And you, as you guys that have read ahead in, in Hebrews, you know what a strong word it is. Don't go backwards. Cling to your faith in Jesus Christ. Stay strong in your faith. Of course it's going to get hard. Jesus promised that. But don't turn away from the new covenant to go back to the old. One thing is clear, and they knew this to be true. The Jewish religious system was temporary, and it couldn't bring the eternal better things that were promised in the coming of Messiah and fulfilled when God came in human flesh and died and was buried and rose again from the dead to forgive us of our sins. Now, if you're taking notes, let me give you five things to look for in the entirety of our study. We're going to look at them at various times, and I'll remind you from time to time, but for our sake of today, there's five warnings that Paul gives to the Hebrews, five big sub-themes that Paul gives. Number one, he warns uh, them and us against drifting from the Word of God. Drifting away from the Word of God. Drifting, the idea of drifting is just slowly moving away from God's Word. We find that in chapter 2. The second warning is a warning against doubting the Word of God, chapters 3 and 4. And I'll tell you, the time that you're going to most doubt the Word of God is in the midst of a trial. When circumstances just bury you and consume you, and it's so hard and so difficult, it's gonna, your eyes are just going to, I just don't believe God's Word. And yet the way out is to get your eyes off the circumstance and to believe God's Word. It's a battle. It's a battle. So he warns them, don't, don't doubt the Word of God, chapters 3 and 4. Number three, there's also going to be a warning against dullness, dullness toward the Word of God. Apathy. Eh, whatever, you know, I've got a Bible, I'll read it when I want. And just, just apathy, the kind of apathy that's filled so many today. There's a warning against that, verses, or chapters 5 and 6. Fourthly, there's going to be a warning against despising the Word of God. And just turning your back on it like it has no value to you. It's not important. I'm not even going to use the God's word anymore. That's chapter 10. And then finally, there's a warning against defying or disobeying the word of God in chapter 12. So Hebrews, you could say, is really just a call to hear and heed the word of God. It's a call to listen to God and obey him. And I just have to say that a lot of the problems that are in this room right now A lot of the problems of you listening on the radio or watching online are because you're not listening to God's word and you're not obeying it. This just this week, 
the things you found yourself in, the trouble you got in at work, the anger that came, the argument in your marriage, the flesh outfit you had with your kids, it's because you're not a man or a woman of the word. That's not everyone, but some. I mean, what do you expect to come out of you if you never put in you spiritual things? I mean, are you so filled with this world's music that that's what comes out of you? Are you so filled with this world's message? I mean, the the issue is is simply when you don't have the word coming in you, it's not going to come out of you. And and actually, it's not, not. I'm not offering to you a call to say, well, set up your devotional life. That Make sure every morning at 6.15 you are reading your Bible. Because that's not the issue at all. The issue is your heart. You know, it's been said, and I believe it to be true, is that the heart of the matter is often a matter of the heart. That you're not looking to God's Word as His love letter to you and His instruction and His affirmation of you and, and the direction for your life. You're, you're more interested in the opinions of men, you know, and what men have to say about things. And, and so you've developed a habit where you're in your textbooks more than the Word of God, and you're in front of a screen more than the Word of God, and it's just, it just isn't, it, it isn't desirable for you. You, 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 don't, you don't even have in your mind sometimes, and maybe you can look back this week, but you don't even have in your mind, what does God say about this? What's God's opinion about my marriage? What's God's opinion about my life? What's God's opinion about this decision? What does he have to say? And you, you might say to me, but Ed, it's so hard to read the Bible. I don't. But look, the Bible is understood by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So as believers, God wants you to understand the Bible. He wants to speak to you. He wants to give you direction. The issue is, do you? I mean, think about the marriages here today. Think about the marriages. The issue in your marriage is not your spouse, to which some people say, ooh. You didn't say it out loud, but inside. It's not your spouse. And then you're, some of you are like, so, well, Ed, you just don't understand. You don't know my spouse. You don't, and you, you just want to stand up and go, no, no, no. That's true for everyone in the room but me. And, and you just think, man, the problem in your marriage is him, and the problem in your marriage is her. Could it be that the problem in your marriage is both of you? And now you're the one listening to me right now, And could it be that the issue in your heart is that you're just not a man of the word and you're not a woman of the word? You just, you don't love your wife as Christ loved the church. And some of you men are like, well, I'll be a man of the word. I'll open right up to Ephesians and I will call my wife up right now and say, this is what it says. And you might even, oh, there he is. It's got time. And I'm going to say, this is what the Bible says. Wives, submit to your husbands. Right here, or right here. But, but, it, but you've got to read on. Because not only does it say, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, that's what the Bible says, but you drop down a couple verses, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's what the Bible says. This is hard. You know, most of the issues in our marriage is just that. You come in and you get to a crisis. We've seen that 
you know, over the last six, nine months, we've just seen an overwhelming amount of calls increasing for marriage help, marriage help, marriage help. And so we'll either meet with you here or the pastors will make an appointment and, and there you are. You come in for help. You go through the process. You sit down for an hour. You open the Bible. We talk about the issues. Sometimes it gets heated. Sometimes it gets hard. But by the time we end, we pray. You've got, you leave with some direction and you leave with some homework. And, and man, we're excited because you sat through it and you listened. And God's counsel got into your heart. And, and if you follow the counsel and you do the homework, God will begin to work right away, immediately, instantly. He'll begin to work. But then a couple weeks go by and another phone call comes in. Oh, no, pastor, 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 we've got to meet. My marriage is worse. It's harder. It's more difficult. We've got to meet. We've got to meet today. We will drive down in two hours because you've got to save our marriage. We need it. And so one of the questions will come is, okay, if you need to come in, we'll meet. But did you do the homework? Oh, no, pastor, we didn't do the homework. Oh, you didn't do the homework because the homework was praying and the homework was reading the Bible and the homework was doing a little bit of filling on what the Bible has. But you didn't do the homework and now things are worse. Right. And so we're not going to meet with you. Do the homework, then come in. No, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. God is ready to meet you where you are if you will draw near to him. He's ready to work with you. Now, as the word comes a little bit stronger as we sit in the room together, of course we're going to minister in comfort to you. We're going to minister to the pain there. We're going to minister to the separation. But the same counsel is given over and over and over again. Read your Bible and pray every day. And you might think, that's not enough. I don't know what else there is. God is ready to speak. Isn't that what he says in Hebrews? God, who in various times and various different ways has spoken through the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his son. No, it's much easier to call your friends, isn't it? Oh, we're having this marriage problem. My husband did this and my wife did It's much easier to call the girlfriends, huh? You, you got five of them. So you just work your way down the list. You wouldn't believe what so-and-so did and, and then they, they give you their advice. And then you call the next one. Oh, I can't believe it. And it gets worse every call because nobody's really helping get your eyes back on the Lord. Nobody, you, you wouldn't keep calling all your friends if one of your friends would just say, get your eyes off of your husband and submit yourself to the Lord. And you know what happens? Click. Because a woman of the word is going to give you that counsel and, and encourage you husbands and wives. And so you're more willing to listen to a friend and all their opinions as if they live your life. They don't live your life. And you're more willing to listen to some TED Talk, you know, and some guy on TED Talk, and he gives you 15 minutes of how to have a good marriage. And you're more willing to watch some daytime talk show or whatever it might be and what they have to say about marriage. When God invented marriage, he's the author of it. And only God could invent something like marriage. We wouldn't invent that. Think about it. You got selfish man here and selfish woman here. I got a great idea. Let's bring them together and make them one. So now that we have one selfish person with two selfish attitudes, let's throw them in a house together. And in the early days, a really small apartment. How's that? A room and have two selfish people be selfish with each other and argue about toilet paper and argue about who does the laundry and argue and let's just go at it. Let's see. And you know, he's like, let's watch it all happen. 
except that God, he invented it. He designed it not to be so difficult, but he put us in marriage. Why? For this selfish person, this, you know why? Marriage is to teach us selflessness, and it's to be enjoyed, and it's truly enjoyed when we are truly selfless with one another. And so there you are going through it, and that's, that's really some of the root of the issue. You're selfish, he, she, he or she is selfish, we're all selfish, and we need to submit ourselves to the Lord and be selfless with one another, and then boom, I got a great idea. How about in the mix of all this craziness that we create another selfish person to live with us? <laughs> or adopt them, or how, let's add more selfishness into the mix. I mean, think about it. The first couple years of a baby's life is nothing but, ah, ah. like, what? What are you saying? I, I'm saying, pay attention to me. I'm more important than anyone. Look at me. Hold me. Do everything for me. And then, man, only God could create that. <laughs> and he did for our enjoyment that he would be in the center of our marriage. So why our marriages would become a picture of Jesus Christ's relationship with his church? that men and women would get saved, that we would raise a godly generation, and we would become more selfless through the process. Look, you've got to be a man or a woman of the word, not because some pastor told you to, but because the Bible says that it is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your, the opinions of your friends, even if they're good and godly, pay on comparison to reading what the Bible has to say of what you're supposed to do and trusting God with your marriage, and trusting God with your spouse. Hey, I've been around long enough to know there's some real difficult, hurt, hurting things here today. But God is using them in your life so that you might abide in Him and learn of your sufficiency in Christ. Your spouse, as good as they get through the entirety of their life, will never fully satisfy you. They were never intended to fully satisfy you. They're not on the earth to make you happy. Marriage is not, the main goal of marriage is not happiness. It's holiness. And a holy marriage leads to happiness and joy of the Lord. So in the context of Hebrews, the context of Hebrews is don't leave the word. Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. Go forwards. Like, like, Warren Wiersbe wrote, he said this, I believe that the church is living in very similar circumstances today as the Hebrews. Everything around us is shaking and changing. People are discovering that they've been depending on the scaffolding and not the solid foundation of Christ. Even God's people have gotten so caught up in this world system that their confidence is not in the Lord, but in money and in buildings, and in programs, and other passing material things. As God continues to shake society, the scaffolding will fall away, and God's people will discover that their only confidence must be in the Word of God. Can anybody say an amen to the shaking going on in their lives right now? Go ahead, say it. Go look to your neighbor and say, man, there's been a lot of shaking going on. Go ahead, say it. Go ahead, tell somebody. They want to know. There's been a lot of shaking going on. And God is shaking things in your life. The Bible says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? So that you will learn to put your full dependence upon the Lord and his word. It's the only thing that gets you through. The word of God is eternal. And so what does Hebrews say? How does it open up again? Well, notice with me as we look at just this, as we consider here for a few moments before we head out, 
in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and the upholding of all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The book begins, it opens up with God. He's the central focus. There's no attempt to prove his existence. There's no need to prove his existence. God is God. He exists, and we are his creation, and he has chosen to graciously and sovereignly speak to his creation. We would never know who God is unless he told us. That's why so many people, they, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. So when they do that, they create false gods, little g. God has spoken to reveal himself to us. How? Through his word. He's spoken in times past through men, the prophets, and now in these last days, like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. His word is final. It's the culmination of every, everything in this progressive revelation of God to man. Evolution doesn't speak because man created it. And atheism doesn't speak because man created that. Agnosticism doesn't speak because man created that. Buddhism doesn't speak because man created that. All false religions, all isms don't speak because men created them. But God, he speaks and he reveals himself and we desperately need that revelation. We can't know God until he chooses to reveal himself to us. And the main message from God to man requires God to reveal himself to us through revelation. Man can't figure out God. We, don't, we, we aren't gonna make it on our own. We, we, you could picture us like in a box. We're boxed in as humans. And the separations between us and God are innumerable. He's God and we're not. There's the time and space continuum. There's the ultimate knowledge and our limited knowledge. There's so many things that separate us from God, but God has decided to break into our box. He's come down to us. <clears throat> He's not just come down to us in revelation through his word and through, through the revelation of, of the Bible, but he's come down to us through the revelation of his son, God in human flesh. And he's brought the supernatural down to the natural. He's invaded our world. We haven't invaded his. And as Paul says, so many choose to suppress the truth. And they hold on to these things that were created by men. God, men knew the truth about God and decided to suppress it and push it away in order that they might live their own lives on their own terms and not be convicted by the truths of God. The issue with people that fight against God right now of all the things they might share with you, as you're sharing the gospel lovingly with your friends and family, of all the things they say, oh, I don't believe in the Bible, and I don't believe in church, and all the things that, that are on the surface, the root of their separation from God is something moral, not intellectual. It is a moral dilemma therein, that they come to the place, and maybe that's you today, you've come to the place, well, if I believe in God, then my life needs to change. And if you've come to that conclusion today, you're right. Not only if you believe in God do you need to change, but I'll give you something greater than that. 
If you believe in God today, God will change you. He'll begin to work in you on the areas that you have been unable to change yourself. And you've tried everything. You've even tried suppressing it all by drinking your, your things, you know, your thoughts away. You're just going to stay in a place of, you know, semi-drunkenness your whole life. And you'll be functional in terms of doing your responsibilities, but then at the same time, you've got to come out of that. And then when you come out of that, then you've got to deal with reality and you want to go right back into it. But one thing you didn't realize is that alcohol will control you. You don't have control. It starts with you having control over it, but it's so nasty that it takes control over you, as does Oxycontin, marijuana, any of these substances that you look to for comfort and ease actually begin to control your life and destroy your life. It's only God that can deliver your life and change you. And he's spoken. And one of the greatest things that he's ever spoken to us was simply this, that he loves us. And he demonstrates his love to us by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. We don't deserve it as we sing today. We, had, we haven't earned it. And yet God, he's offered it. That through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, the innocent replaces the guilty. Jesus is the innocent. You and I are the guilty ones. And if you will repent and turn away from your sins today and receive the free gift of salvation from God through his son, Jesus Christ, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, God has spoken, and he said some wonderful things, words of freedom, words of help, words of confidence. You know, one of the things that's just been ministering to me recently, and I shared it earlier, is that I just reminded that what God has begun, he's faithful to complete it. You see, what God has started in your life, he's going to finish it. He's not going to abandon you halfway. He's not going to run out on you. He's not going to just disappear as you might have experienced in real life. That's not God. He, what he started in you, he's going to finish. He's committed to finish it. He's going to perfect, the Bible says, that which concerns you. He's promised to never leave or forsake you. He's for you and not against you. And he proved that to you. And you can trust him today. You don't need to doubt his word. He's spoken to us in various times throughout human history. Spoken to us as he's broken in to reveal his truth through the prophets. Leading up to Messiah. He's spoken to us in various ways. Different types of ways. I mean, think of the ways that God has spoken over the years. Over the span of history. He's used dreams, angels, the law, promises, creation, our conscience, preaching, visual illustrations. I mean, he's used people. He's used people like David, Daniel, Ezekiel, Moses, Jeremiah, Jonah. But think also, he also spoke through a burning bush. In another place, he spoke through a donkey. Jesus said, as they were trying to quiet the people worshiping him, Jesus said, hey, you know what? Even if everyone was quiet, these rocks would cry out. It's not that God isn't speaking. What the problem is, is that people don't want to listen to him. That's the issue. But God is speaking. He's, God, God is constantly moving forward with his message, and the final summation of his message is found in Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we'll see next time, that God has spoken completely, finally, and supremely through his own son, Jesus Christ. He is the final revelation of God. But we have to be careful of religion and rituals 
because Jesus is all you need. You don't need your rituals. You don't need your religious requirements. You don't need to divide. And I know how hard it is to change. I'm always reminded of it when somebody calls to the church and, and I answer the phone in my office, say, hey, Calvary Chapel, can I help you? And they'll say, what time does mass start this Sunday? <laughs> and I'll say, well, we have eight, you know, six o'clock on Saturday, 8.45, 10.45. Don't try to correct them. That's just where they're coming from. That's what they think this is. That's where they were raised. And so if they come and they come through one service, they're going to find out right away. It's very different. It's very different. And then maybe I get a letter in the mail, not a phone call, but a letter in the mail, and it's addressed to Reverend Edward Taylor. <laughs> I, write, I know right away that person doesn't know me. Because the Bible says there's only one reverend, only one, and that's God. He's worthy of your reverence and your awe and your worship. And it's not Edward Taylor, it's God. But I understand where they're coming from. See, as Christians, we've got to learn. One of the greatest ways of sharing the gospel is to meet people where they are. Why do we become so judgmental people? Why do we have to criticize everybody? Why do we have to correct everyone? Why can't we just meet people where they are and let the Lord do the work? There's so much resistance to the gospel today because the followers of Jesus think it's your responsibility to change the world. It's not. It's our responsibility to love and to serve, to be known as people that love one another and serve one another and meet people where they are and just wait and let God lead the conversation and just step into their life and lead them to the Lord. Take them to the cross. But I mean, to try to explain to somebody, oh no, this isn't a mass and this, it, it would just, I would lose the opportunity to ever reach them and love them and preach the gospel to them. And so maybe that's a word of the Lord to you. You just become so critical, so correcting, you gotta fix everything when it's God does the work and he uses us as instruments of love in a community, in a world that's desperately looking for authentic demonstrations of love. And they don't even know what they're looking for, but when they find it, boom, that's it. Isn't that the way so many of you came to know Jesus Christ? God exploded in and the thing he re revealed about himself to you was he loves you unconditionally amazing so father as we uh, close up today and just consider the beauty of uh, knowing that there's going to be some some encouraging words about not leaving the word some encouraging words about not uh, deviating and drifting and denying your word we just pray that you would empower us to be loving vessels and just meet people where they are love on them encourage them let you do the work that only you can do. And, and why are we known as Christians today as the most, you know, the most hypercritical, hyper hypocritical people on the earth when we should be known for our love? Forgive us, God. Forgive us as so many times we've misrepresented you. And, and so many times we, we, we made mistakes, God. It's just a sinful mistake sometimes. We just, would you just pour out your spirit of forgiveness upon us. Make us more usable in your hands, God, not less. And for those that have been appointed unto salvation today, God, I pray that they would respond, that they would receive the gospel, the good news directly to their hearts, Lord. That they would finally, for the very first time, turn their life away from their sins and submit themselves to you. And so if you're here today and you, you're just so captured by the love of God, 
and you realize that you are distant and separated from God, but you want to fix that. You want God to do that work in your life. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you that today would be the day that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and you just know that this is the day. God bless you. God bless you. Who else would say, that's me? Today's the day. This is the time, and that's why you're here. This is your appointment. Maybe you're out on the radio or watching online. We don't, maybe downstairs, we don't see you, but it's not my eyes that matter. It's God. He sees you, but I know in a room like this, it's just, it's good to publicly respond so that you would acknowledge to God. See you in the back. God bless you. Who else would say that's me? I want to acknowledge to God my sin and ask him to forgive me. God bless you. And I really mean that in the back over here. I don't mean it like a sneeze or anything. I mean God's blessings upon you. God bless you and you. He loves you. And maybe you haven't felt that or experienced that. And maybe even now you're still struggling a little bit with that word. It's okay. God's going to continue to reveal himself to you. And you're in a church family where we will help you follow Jesus. God bless you in the back. That we're to make disciples. And we'll explain to you what that means. We're going to be those that will help you follow him. You're not on your own. You're not alone. This is just the beginning. God bless you in the back as well. Let's pray. And I want you to pray this prayer to God because he's the one that saves you. And you could say something like this. You can repeat these words. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin because I believe Jesus lived for me, died for me, and rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I'm asking for your help to turn away from my sinful past and to follow you the rest of my life. And God, I know anyone that prays that anywhere, you hear that prayer and you don't resist them and you don't push them away. So as you're moving upon the hearts of the men and women here today, those that are listening in from afar, may you draw them near and may this be the real deal in their lives. The real deal. That no turning back. Today's the day of great life being poured into people's lives today, families today. God bless them, encourage them, and may we see them grow in your grace from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.